It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Nine oh three here on SENZ. Good morning, everyone. Morena to you uh, around the country. Uh, last day before we head into uh, the weekend, but a really good day for the New Zealand cricket team yesterday. They'll look to build on that today. And uh, on that subject, we'll be talking to Simon Dool very shortly. Uh, I think he's out of quarantine now, so he'll be uh, back home perhaps in the Waikato. Uh, Braden Enor, Crusaders uh, utility back, I think it's fair to we call him utility back. Uh, named in the side to play this weekend. Uh, we'll catch up with him out of the Crusaders camp. Uh, Jenny Binden just after 10 o'clock. Now, Jenny was a former Football Ferns goalkeeper. They've got a busy weekend internationally. And what about uh, the rise and rise of the uh, women's Phoenix team as well? Uh, we shall talk to Jenny just after 10. The, the panel this morning is James Regan and Sam Ackerman. Uh, Tana Walters is going to slip into the saddle for Louis Herman Watt this morning just before uh, 11 o'clock. Jeff McTainch out of Beijing. We've got medal chances today, of course, um, with the Porteous Brothers. And Riley Evans, Greyhound trainer. We're going to speak to him just uh, around 11.20 this morning. Um, and Mick Guerin, of course, at 11.43. And we're back to 50 bucks for Stump Smithy uh, about half past 11. So busy morning. Busy morning. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, a crisis is averted to pretty much everyone's relief. Enjoy young Camilla Valieva crashed out of the Winter Olympics yesterday. There was a winner. There will be a podium, and ironically, it will be the anthem everyone expected, just not for the 15-year-old. One wonders what effect this ugly circus will have on her life. 15. Just 15. One of the most despised and vilified teenagers in the world at present. Let's just hope her support group don't throw her to the wolves as readily as the IOC and the Court of Arbitration. The whole debacle has been disgusting, and I fear for her. And even though the Silver Lake deal with uh, New Zealand rugby looks iced, still a nervous time of wait as the provincial unions and New Zealand Māori agree to agree. It's likely it'll all proceed, but it may well be the system of funds distribution will be seriously scrutinised and should be before the stamp goes into the wax. When you hear the ideals that the Barretts and the Saviers of our world will not have to go overseas to cash in anymore, does it make you cringe just a little? I mean, how much are we talking here at the top level? The poet Shelley penned the phrase, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, back in 1821. It took 19 years to publish that work. He didn't intention it to rugby union, but one wonders how our national game will be in in 19 years. What will the numbers be like if attention to the lower level detail 
is not paid very soon. The Barretts and the Savias came from junior and club rugby. They all do. Without it, who knows? It's dwindling at a concerning rate. That can't be denied. So before they finally approve this deal, perhaps the method of distribution should be seriously considered. Maybe bottom to top, not top to bottom, or even somewhere closer in the middle. here in the two-test series against South Africa. Couldn't have got off to a better start for the Black Caps at Hagley over yesterday. They won the toss. That's the main thing. And everything just flowed from there. As Matt Henry took seven wickets. The Proteas were rolled for 95. The New Zealand reached 116 for three at Stumps. A man who knows what it's like to take seven wickets in an innings. His former Black Caps bowler, Simon Dool, back in New Zealand. I know you were on the show, uh, breakfast show yesterday, Dooley. But uh, from our show, welcome home. Thanks very much, Smitty. Nice to be home. And I'm actually out of isolation now. So when I talked to the boys yesterday, I was still in isolation. So it's nice to be out back in the mighty Waikato and uh, a gorgeous day to greet me. Dooley, uh, because of uh, MIQ requirements, etc., you've been uh, basically forced to spend a lot of time overseas. Your option is to be based in Dubai and travel the world commentating, basically. Yeah, that, that's been it now, Smithy. And obviously, since, um, as you well know, since Sky lost the, the um, rights for the cricket, it sort of um, took away the, the summer options uh, back here in New Zealand for us. And you go looking elsewhere, it's been—it's um, actually been a blessing, mate. I've had so much work on, and gosh, I'm turning turning down more work than I ever have. Um, Dubai's home now. I've got residency and uh, and living up there, and it's um, yeah, it's been a really good move, mate. It's hard to be away from uh, from my boy, from Hunter, but uh, apart from that, everything else is fantastic. That's great, Dolly. It's great to hear that uh, in your voice as well. And uh, I'd imagine, um, even though uh, we weren't able to, to look at and, um, and talk about it yesterday, we did uh, watch that performance of Matt Henry, 7 for 23, third equal best bowling performance uh, alongside Sir Richard Hadley. Uh, what, what, a, what a great story of someone who just waits and waits and then pounces, Matt Henry is. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, look, I haven't always been a great proponent of Matt Henry in the test side. I think he's probably one of our best white ball bowlers, along with Trent Bolt, um, with, the, with the newer ball. Um, he's been superb in the white ball format for us in the last few years, in the 50-over format in particular. Um, and haven't always been his biggest fan at test match level, and he's had erotic opportunities. But yesterday, he was just unbelievable. That it, The surface suited, but, I mean, it suited everybody. And, and you know, nobody else got seven wickets. So... He, he, he finds that line in length where he nibbles the ball. That's not a big swing bowler. I'd call him more of a seam bowler. And it was just superb to watch yesterday. From the time he, he nicked Algar off, um, I thought you, you've got to pay credit. And you would, you would know so well, Smithy, to the, the guys behind the stumps. Uh, I mean, jeez. Mm. This is on the outfit now. The, the, from keeper round to third, fourth slip, no matter who they put in there. Obviously, with Ross gone now, Kane out of gully. They just keep finding guys to put into those positions, whether it be Mitchell in there or whether Tim Southey goes into third, whether Nichols goes into gully. It, it just it astounds me that we, we keep finding people that are brilliant behind the wicket. And, um, you know, it, it, it helps the bowlers know end. And you know yourself, when a nick comes, you can trust your first slip, you can trust your second slip, you know it's going to be caught. And that, that certainly happened yesterday. Were South Africa poor or were they not allowed to be good? I don't think they were allowed to be good. Uh, I watched uh, a majority of it. There was some very good bowling 
it's a difficult time to score. It's a difficult thing to come out of, um, you know, out of your quarantine and, and get into those nets and, and get some sort of rhythm going. They'll be far better off in the second innings and in the second test match. But these test matches, we so often see, Smitty, uh, are won in the first innings. And, and sometimes in the first sort of 50, 60 overs of, of a test match. So I, I don't think they were allowed to be good. Um, there's maybe one or two things you could have said or one or two shots they couldn't have played. But oh, I just I credit to New Zealand, credit to Matt Henry. He was superb. Okay, the unit, though. Um, you've got a... Bowl uh, with someone at the, at the other end. What did you make of the other three? Wagner, Jamison, uh, and Salvi? Yeah, good. Very good. I thought, um, you know, I mean, you just, Tim Salvi's just getting more, getting cleverer and cleverer, I think, in his old age. I will say, both of us who are well over 50 now. Um, but he's just, uh, he's yeah. a smart bowler. He's a smart operator now. And, um, and Kyle Jamison, I thought, was back somewhere near some of his best. At times, he probably got his length slightly wrong, but. 11 very tidy overs. What did he go for? 19, I think, in the end. So, you know, he was he was back to being tidy. I think the decision for him to opt out of the IPL was a very, very good one. It was a very smart one. Financially not smart, but um, I think it just shows where he's at as far as his cricket's concerned. And he knows that he's not quite a T20 player at the moment. So I, I think it was a great decision. And nine really tidy overs from Neil Wagner. So... Um, I was a little bit surprised in the selection of both the all-rounders yesterday morning, thinking that you know Ravindra just as an option. There's basically six seam bowling options, five of them right arm, medium pace. Um, Jamison a little bit quicker, Henry a little bit quicker, uh, and one left arm. So I was a little bit surprised that they went with both the the, the sort of seam bowling all-rounders and not Ravindra. Right, let's um, let's look at uh, New Zealand batting performance. Then uh, they've got a lead uh, already, so you you got to say at the end of the day that's a, a pretty damn good day's Test cricket. Uh, they're a spot of bother at thirty six for two, but a, a pretty good partnership when in the context of scoring yesterday uh, between Conway and Nichols at four. Yeah, Nichols, Nichols um, was very positive. I think that was the, that's the good thing. And you know, I was listening to a little bit of uh, of the talk yesterday as well about how sometimes on those surfaces, and I think New Zealand play better on those types that are seeming around, they can be a little bit more positive. And um, Conway and, and Nichols in particular were both uh, that way inclined. Um, is that a position that's going to be permanent? Well, probably not. As soon as Williamson comes back, you think that Conway probably goes to four and Nichols to five, and then one of the all-rounders plays, Mitchell or de Grandom, and it's probably going to be Mitchell moving forward. So, um, But it, it, a really good show on. I, I thought Henry Nichols has got an opportunity with a, a 39 overall ball this morning to really make hay. Um, you know, you got, when you got 41 overs till the second new ball and you're in uh, on a surface yeah. that should be um, a lot better for batting, I think he can really, really make hay today. And, you know, if New Zealand are batting at T, then they are just so far in front of this test match. It's not funny. And, um, you know, well and truly on their way to a, to a test match win. When you're only bowling at 95, you have to be right on your mark, don't you, from a South African point of view. Uh, they started the day poorly. They lost the toss and they lost in Gidi. Uh, so a, a lot came on the shoulders of uh, Rabada, still very young shoulders. You know, Janssen and Olafia. How do you think the South African attack matched up? Oh, I thought Marco Janssen was very, very good. I, I think he's a quality bowler. I saw a bit of him in that uh, India uh, South Africa series, and he, he really is genuinely good and difficult bowling to get away. I mean, you played against a guy called Bruce Reed, Smitty, didn't you? And, and mm. you know, in that sort of mould, not quick by any stretch of the imagination, but awkward 
and, and very, very sort of economical in his action and just light and intense and, and tough to get away. So a left-arm version of a Kyle Jamieson, uh, perhaps. I thought um, Sterman was, uh, was tidy enough. Rabada just wasn't quite at his best. It, it, it's also difficult, too, for these overseas bowling attacks. They, again, should be much better if they get another opportunity uh, in the second innings. But they should even be better today. They will have talked about the length. They will have talked about what they did wrong yesterday when they went searching, maybe got a little bit too straight. If you're patient enough on these pitches and you get the ball full enough, you almost have to set fields just to defend the drive a little bit because you want batters to be driving at the ball. And if they can do that first thing this morning, which I'm sure they will have scouted and talked about last night, they, you know, New Zealand could easily still be bowled out for sort of 180 uh, on this sort of pitch. Yeah, I think it's going to be a low scorer, uh, whatever the, uh, the case mm. may be. So a lead of any a lead of 100, I think, will be invaluable. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I think you're spot on. I mean, anything around about that, you know, that 100, 90, 100 and above will be absolutely crucial. You could still have the opposition four, five, six down before they even get past. So it's, uh, it, and you know what happens with Christchurch as well. I mean, we've seen it enough, haven't we, that, even though what, what happens, because it's quite a lot of grass and it gets a little indentation, so it can go up and down a little bit. And as it gets faster and dries out a little bit, the pace actually, it does get quicker. And so it does those things just a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit faster. So it makes it a little bit more difficult for the batters. Uh, Dooley, just on the, on the world stage, uh, what, are you, what are you hearing perhaps? Um, you've got your finger on the pulse. Where do you, where do you sus- suspect... Justin Langer might hit uh, next move. Uh, it's an interesting one. I'm look, I mean, England would, England would probably have him. Um, I'm sort of. There's a bit of talk in and around England that they would, um, you know, that they'd, they'd have him in a heartbeat. But I just don't know whether the fit is quite right uh, for Justin Langer at the moment. He's going to have to find a team that is very secure. Uh, I don't think. You know, when you look at what uh, Pat Cummins said about Justin Langer, about the fact that Australia needed an overhaul, we know that. We know what happened with the Sandpaper Gate and, and all of the things around that. They needed an overhaul. They needed a bit of a reset, a reminder of what Australian cricket was all about. And, and people will look at Australian cricket and think, well, it's just a bunch of, you know, buffheads, arrogant, blah, 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 blah. They, they sledge. You know, the Australian sides that I played against and, and the sides that you played against, yeah, there was some sledging, there was some banter, but they were just tough. They were tough, they were hard on the field, and off the field, they were the first ones to come in and have a beer with you. And, and I remember those Australian sides. I don't remember the ones that were, um, you know, that were awful, nasty, arrogant, didn't give a crap about the spirit of the game, any of that sort of stuff. So it needed a reset. Justin Langer was that man. Now they need someone else that's probably more in that... Um, you know, man management role. And, and so Justin's going to have to find a team. I actually think he'd probably be a really, really good coach for one of the, the next tier down nations, but have they got the money to pay him? That would that, be the issue. And I, I just don't see him fitting in that England setup, even though there is a little bit of talk about it. Yeah, I think uh, with the English media, it's fraught with disaster because the, the moment they, yeah. they detect anything, anything at all, uh, it'll be open slather there. Dooley, you're, you're also cr- across uh, uh, the IPL. The auction uh, has just uh, been and gone, the first stages of it anyway. Uh, who are the big winners and who are you disappointed for? Oh, big winners. Oh, Nicholas Puran, Nitish Rana, um, Deepak Chaha, 
Goodness me, um, there's some crazy money spent, Smithy. I mean, yeah, Kolkata game, Hammer and Tonk for Nitish Rana surprised the heck out of me. Um, I just don't think he's that priced sort of player. Um, Deepak Chahar, look, he's one of the best 2020 seamers in India. I knew they were going to have to pay that sort of money for him. What was it, 14 crosses, the same as what Kyle Jameson got last year. So it's at about $2 million, I think, New Zealand. Um, Nicholas Puran at, at, at 10.5 or 12, 11 lakh, which is again about the sort of 1.7, 1.8 million for a guy who is perennially underachieved. I know he scored runs the day after the auction, which is probably a good sign for him, but um, he's underachieved massively for a guy of his talent, I think. Um, you know, probably probably the West Indians were, were the most surprising for me. There's a lot of them got big money that I just I don't see. Um, but they've got their reputation of, of 2020 specialists and, and knock the ball out of the ground, guys. So good to see Trent Bop get uh, get money, and good to see a lot of the Kiwis actually picked up in the end. Nisham and um, and uh, Daryl Mitchell ended up going to uh, Rajasthan Royals, and Adam Milne got picked up, Devin Conway got picked up. So good to see the Kiwis getting a fair crack at it. Um, but there were some some big money surprises. And I guess you're going to get that though with with the lack of depth. Um, you know, when you're going past 60 odd players in India, you've got a kind of a lack of depth, and with 10 teams, you need a huge amount of players. So I just wonder in the next couple of years, Smith, whether we might be going to five overseas players on the field. Just uh, finally, Dolly, actually, you, you sparked a question for me there. Um, you mentioned Trent Bolt's name. If he's available for the second test, uh, does Matt Henry stay? I mean, under the Ajaz Patel theory. Uh, does he stay, or are the other are the other three uh, now competing for um, their spots? Uh, yeah, I think he probably does stay on his home track, doesn't he? Um, does he? Yeah, I, I think they are probably competing unless they decide unless he's going to decide to go one less all rounder and, and play Kyle Jameson at seven. Um, you know, instead of Colin de Grandom, who uh, I just I don't know how much more. How much of a future Colin de Grandon has got in that test match side? I think Daryl Mitchell is a far better option with the bat. And I don't know that New Zealand needs 20 overs a day from, from uh, their fourth or fifth seamer. So Daryl Mitchell can easily provide probably eight or 10 overs a day. Um, if they go down the Ravindra uh, path, then, then he can provide those overs as well. So uh, I'm thinking probably de Grandon's spot is, is more of a worry than, than maybe the other seamers. But uh, it'll be a tough decision if, if Trent Bolt is fit and available. Yeah, it will be. Uh, and uh, I guess you'll have a decision to make. I, I know you've got about 19 sets of golf clubs. So which one are you going to uh, get out before, uh, out, of the, uh, out of the Hamilton setup uh, and get out playing again, please? Yeah, I, I, I pulled the Mizunos out this morning. So yeah, I've got two sets of Mizunos in there. The blades still let's look a little bit small, having not played for a little while. So I've pulled the, <laughs> uh, the second set of Mizunos out, mate, and um, they are sitting in the garage. I've just opened the door. They're ready to go, and I'm, I'm teeing off at 12. 12 o'clock. Uh, enjoy, Dooley. Yeah. Great to have you back on Terra Firma in New Zealand. Uh, and we'll catch up with you in person uh, sooner rather than later when we watch the ladies play and talk about it. So I'm looking forward to that, mate. Yeah, absolutely, Smitty. Looking forward to it as well. You guys have a great weekend and a good day. Yeah, cheers, uh, Dooley there. Simon Dalt, uh, most, uh, most travelled commentator, I think, in the world at the moment in terms of cricket. Uh, and we, uh, of course, uh, have the benefit of him back uh, here for the Women's World Cup. Uh, terrific bloke, Dolly. Uh, I don't think uh, anyone will disagree with that. It's 9.22 here on SENZ. So let's uh, let's look at this uh, Silver Lake thing, shall we? 
Uh, do you fear? What, what's your opinion? Where should the money go? Where should the money go first? Should it go to keep Bowden back in town? Will it be the end of sabbaticals if we can do that? Those horrible sabbaticals where they disappear for a while and then come back and uh, tend to drop their form tends to drop off. So is is that important? Or are there enough club rugby people out there or grassroots rugby people out there to think it should perhaps uh, start from the bottom up or get a lot more attention at the bottom, put it that way? Um, so uh, I just, we, we spoke to uh, Rob Nicholl, very confident about the deal going ahead, and I'm sure it will. Uh, but really, what, what should be, they be considering? Um, where, where will we be in 20 years with our game? I don't know. I, I might not be alive to what, be watching. A lot of you will be out there. Uh, what do you fear for most if uh, attention's not being paid to detail? 9.23 here on SENZ. There's some uh, texts coming in on various subjects. Um, uh, hey, Smithy, a, a tough call on the Silver Lake money. I'm thinking club footy is more important. You can pay the big bucks to the elite All Blacks, but it's only a five-year investment. If you think to be an All Black, an elite All Black takes five or so years to get there. They start at 22, elite by 27, say five years of high pay, then they leave, retire by early mid-30s. We need good club footy players getting better and then flowing through NPC, then super, then ABs. Uh, that's Paddy, and I think the key word there, Paddy, is flow. We need to get that flow, but the flow has to start from somewhere. Uh, I think it's a very good point that you made. Um, uh, the auction, the IPL auction. Watch the bit of the auction. Couldn't help thinking it was slavery. Corporations buying someone, auctioneers saying sold or not sold. Uh, I, I just, yeah, uh, I mean it is. They are commodities. When you get to that level, they are commodities. I mean, you know, the All Blacks are commodities when it comes to selling them to overseas or being purchased from overseas. You, you, your talent, your ability and your talent is your asset and you, you know, you, you're selling your asset basically, so you are a commodity. Uh, and how, how is this a better deal? NZR needs capital, looks uh, like they're getting 50% of uh, what was first proposed, despite what Rob Nickel might say about better, uh, better, va- uh, better value, blah, blah. Mike has come in there, so clearly not uh, happy with this deal overall. Uh, and here's a, a, a bit of a scoop, we're told. We're hearing news right here and now coming through via tweet, and uh, our good friends have come in and said, you heard it first here, Smithy. The English Premier League will be screened on Sky TV starting next year for the next six years. That is fantastic. So there you go. Uh, yeah, the next six years, apparently, it's uh, either has been or will be announced very shortly, uh, will be screened on Sky TV starting next year. I think it's on Spark at the moment, so that's a big coup for Sky TV. 9.30 here on SENZ Newstime. Well, ain't that a bit of music that tells you that the rugby season is here and it begins tomorrow, Super Rugby, for our New Zealand teams with the Chiefs taking on the Highlanders in Queenstown at 4.35 uh, before the Crusaders clash with the Hurricanes under the roof in Dunedin just after 7 o'clock. A great doubleheader in prospect there. Uh, joining us too out of the Crusaders camp is uh, All Blacks uh, utility back and Crusaders uh, utility back, of course, Braden Enor. Uh, good morning to you, Braden. Uh, after all this time, the speculation about where and when, we know it's going to happen. How excited uh, are you and your squad? Yeah, it's me. yeah going good, thanks. Um, yeah, we're uh, 
I'm pretty excited. I mean, I'm sitting here um, looking at the mountains uh, and can't complain, so just happy to be uh, playing some rugby and, and looking forward to, to tomorrow. Uh, I know it's, it's be preferable to be sleeping in your own bed and that sort of thing, but it's actually not a bad way, and you know, particularly with the aspects that you've got looking out the window, to build a bit of spirit, to build a bit of feeling. Yeah, I think just camps like this. Um, I mean, you always have some sort of pre season camp uh, to build a bit of team cohesion, but something like this is is never a bad thing to to get to know your teammates a bit better and and get to know uh, the connections on and off the field. So. Uh, it's all it's all pretty positive to be fair. Well, Queenstown uh, is a lovely place, but it's not that big when you stick uh, a whole lot of footy players uh, in the same sort of area together. So, have you uh, have you crossed paths with any of the opposition? No, nah, not personally. I've, uh, I think we've seen a few of them doing a few uh, a few bombs off the wharf across the lake, but other than that, uh, we've been pretty separate. Okay, well, let's look at uh, the Crusaders' uh, side, which is a very, very strong one named tomorrow. And you've uh, named in the midfield with David Harvey. Uh, I would imagine you, you know each other's games pretty well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dave's been a great help of uh, developing my rugby ever since I got on the team. So it's always uh, a pleasure playing beside him. No one said um, more of a, an issue with uh, injuries, I don't think, uh, than you were. Uh, You've had knee problems, of course, and then you had uh, the appendicitis on top of everything. How frustrating it has it been for you, man? You know, watching other guys out there perhaps playing in your spot, and you know, I mean, it, it, would, it would get to a lot of people. How have you? How have you coped? Oh, I guess it's just one of those things in, in rugby you can't control um, injuries and, and sicknesses and all that sort of thing. So you sort of roll with the punches, and and you just have to deal with the. The cards you've been dealt, I guess. Um, yeah, it was obviously the coming back from knee injury, came back pretty strong, felt good physically, and then and then to be knocked over with a bit of appendicitis was unexpected. But um, no, as as things went on, um, I'm healthy now and still got to go on torch. I felt pretty lucky to be named in that sort of thing. So um, no, feeling good now and, and looking forward to a, to a big year. If I said to you, uh, Brayden, for the rest of your career, you could play in one position, uh, your choice, uh, what would be your preference at this point? Yeah, my preference has always been centre. I sort of grew up playing centre and I actually only started playing wing uh, in professional footy. So um, it's, it's one of those things, that's, it's, a, it's a string, it's a string that's uh, added to my bow. You know, it's, it's always going to help uh, me with versatility, getting into teams and all, all that sort of thing. But Personally, my preference is centre. Okay, well, uh, that means the the back three for you uh, is uh, off limits uh, at this point anyway, but the back three tomorrow looks pretty damned exciting with Will Jordan, uh, Lester Faunga, Nuku, and uh, George Bridge in 14, and Sevi Reese off the bench. So uh, the quality is there and very apparent again this year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things we're pretty lucky to have such great outsides and and not to forget the guys that are left off the team sheet this week. I mean, we've got some, some great young fellas like Shay and, and Kenny who are, who are up and coming, and, and I'm sure they'll get their time to shine as well. Uh, let's talk, can we talk about uh, Fergus Burke? Of course, uh, Richie Moonga is out for the early part of the season. So how's uh, Fergus Burke uh, getting into that pivot role for you? Yeah, he's, he's been going well. He's obviously been mentored by Richie. Uh, for a couple of years now, and and he's and he's got a bit of game time under his belt. 
um, since coming to the Crusaders, and and uh, and he's got no better man outside of him than David Havili and and the likes of Brent Hall and Mitchell Drummond uh, inside of him playing at nine. So he's got a lot of support around him. Um, not that he needs it so much, but um, just the experience that, that those guys have as well to help him, help him on the field. Yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, let's look uh, briefly at the pack if we can. Joe Moody, Sam Whitelock, Scott Barrett uh, starting in round one, which is uh, exceptional to have that kind of experience, uh, uh, along with a fellow by the name of Pablo Montera. So uh, can you tell us just a, a little bit about what he has added to the squad, the big Argentinian? Yeah, he's, just, he's, a, he's an intense guy at training, a uh, lovely guy off it. Um, he's, uh, by the looks of his and sounds of it, he's loving being in Queenstown. It's a pretty breathtaking place. So um, I'm always seeing him, seeing him down for swims multiple times a day, regardless of the weather, so he loves the water. But um, yeah, on the field, he's... I mean, you know what he's like on the field. He's, he's, a, he's a force to be reckoned with, and, and he's, he's definitely um, fitting in very well. Uh, let's look at the opposition for uh, tomorrow night's game um, in Dunedin. And, uh, of course, uh, in the midfield, you're looking at uh, Billy Proctor, Peter Umanga Jensen, two names that have been around Wellington footy for quite some time. So uh, big units, uh, determined young units. So what are you expecting there? Yeah, obviously they're, they're um, physical guys. They're expecting them to come um, straight at us and, but they've also got uh, the ability to set up their outsides and all that sort of thing. So, um, as we say, it's going to be a hell of a match in the midfield and, and looking forward to it. So, uh, Scotty uh, Robertson, Razor, loves the theme for the squad. Uh, they pretty worked out pretty well with five titles in a row. Have you, have you got a, a separate theme or a new theme for this year to, to look out for? Uh, Smithy, you know better than that, mate. It's, that's hush-hush. That's hush. Uh, in-team knowledge. Uh, we keep our theme to ourselves and and that's just for us to, to help drive us uh, for the year. But he's, as you say, he's pretty good at making them. So we're, we're looking forward to okay. living up to that theme. I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm looking, uh, well, I, I, I'm so used to watching you guys arrive when you get to Christchurch and everyone, everyone remotely close to the squad gets a bit of a fist bump and that sort of thing. So are we likely to see that this year? Yeah, I think that's just something that's come through. Connection of the team, something that Razor started. Um, you know the old look in the eyes and fist pump, and, and obviously with uh, with COVID, it's it's be uh, um, good in that sense of things. Um, so yeah, that's that's always something we've we kept going. That's just that's not much of a theme. That's just uh, us connecting and, and being one. Okay, well here's the other question: How do you like travelling on buses? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a curveball. So I'm not going to lie to you, um, especially on game day, but. Oh, look, it's, it's something that every team has to deal with and, and uh, we've got our own sort of things to to aid sort of getting off the bus and sitting down for a couple of hours, some things like ice baths and activation sessions and stretching and all that sort of thing. Um, so there's no excuses. I mean, everyone's going to have to do it. So um, it's just uh, being ready for for the game and the, the couple of hours off the bus and, and um, mentally being off the bus um, when you get on that field as well. And the other thing, of course, is, is uh, the prospect of, what, three hours or three and a half hours coming home as well and getting home at uh, about 2.30 in the morning. So uh, it's not a normal day out anymore. No, no, it's uh, definitely different, but oh, these are the times we live in and, uh, like I say, everyone has to do it. So uh, now we're just looking forward to playing some footy and, and eventually getting back here and then uh, catching up with the rest of the squad.
well, we're looking forward to uh, to watching some footy. It's been a while, so uh, good luck. Uh, good luck with the uh, opening encounter to, tomorrow night in Dunedin, and uh, uh, I hope you enjoy the bus travel and things work out well. And, and in your case in particular, you get a, a nice free run without uh, injury problems. Braden, we really uh, hope for that for you. Thanks for your time this morning. Cheers, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, Braden Enor there, of course, uh, current All Black and current Crusader. Uh, who has had terrible knee injury problems and then, of course, appendicitis on top of that. You don't expect that. And uh, he's managed to uh, to come through and get a, a start tomorrow alongside David Harvelli. Uh, that, John, is a very, very good-looking back line. Certainly is. Holy moly, when you can leave Seve Reese on the bench. Um, and interesting to hear, he, he's been a centre all his life and he only ever played wing professionally. So when we're looking for midfielders, I guess, Smithy, heading towards the next World Cup in the All Blacks, um, you know, Braden Nurnor, uh, right in the mix, isn't he? Uh, needs a big season, though, and just like you say, no injuries would be a massive help. Yeah, where's, um, where's Goodhue? Uh, is he floating around, John? Is, uh, yeah, floating around. Or is he just not, a, not available for this game or not considered for this game? Because uh, there again, you know, you add Goodhue into the, the midfield mix uh, with Havili, etc. Well, you're looking at... Pretty handy little uh, rivalry there in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Ruptured ACL. And from what we've been hearing, still not available. Maybe April, I think we're hearing, for Jack Goodhue. Um, they've been playing him at 12, haven't they, the Crusaders? I like him as a specialist 13. But, yeah, um, him and David Haveli, there will be a lot of uh, competition for spots. And Will Jordan's got fullback as well. So, yeah, we'll be interesting to see where Haveli goes as the season goes on. Okay, well, uh, we'll keep updated on that. Of course, those two super games, uh, one at 4.30 in Queenstown and then the one at 7 o'clock in uh, Dunedin under the roof uh, tomorrow night. So we are beginning in earnest. Yay. Uh, It's 9.43 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, I'm uh, just uh, getting into my tipping for uh, first time around this one anyway, the tipping competitions that we've got going this weekend. So uh, if you haven't logged in or signed up, today's the day, I think, uh, because they start tonight. So you really must uh, get on to that today. So uh, look for details. Smith City one is uh, register and uh, at senzradio.nz for your chance to win weekly prizes. And a massive uh, Samsung 65-inch TV for the season's top tipper. So there you go. Uh, Smith City, of course, stoked to support uh, Super Rugby. So that's uh, one of two competitions. Uh, I'll tell you about the other one a little bit later on in the morning. Um, but, uh, yeah, interesting subjects to talk about this morning. That uh, Silver Lake deal hasn't quite gone over the finish line. It's in sight. They can see the tape up there, but they can't quite grab it yet because uh, John, the provinces and New Zealand Maori Rugby Board have to uh, uh, fully agree to it. Uh, hasn't always been a great relationship, has it? Uh, when when the, the provinces, etc., they've been a stumbling block before, but how do you see this one angling out? Yeah, it doesn't need to be unanimous, which I think is helpful. Um, but obviously, like Rob Nickel kept on using the word robust. Uh, Smithy with us yesterday and I think that means he pissed them off a lot because a lot of money was on the line I think close to $400 million 
initially, and this is during the MVC when all competitions were getting cancelled or some teams couldn't play, Heartland was being put on the back burner, there was no money coming in through the gates, and the provincial unions were desperate for that cash last year, and it looked like it was going to go across the line, New Zealand Rugby Board were ready to go, provincial unions ready to go, and then in came the Players Association going, nah, we're not happy, and stalled it for a year, just when these provincial unions were desperate. So I don't think Rob Nichols made any friends, Smithy, so a couple might uh, want revenge and just say, nah, we're not happy with this deal. Uh, but I think overall they will get the numbers they need and it will cross the line and that'll be $200 million initially with the chance of another $100 million as well. So a massive cash injection coming the way and I hope it goes mainly to those provincial unions and club rugby and not in the back pockets of the players. You hope it will, John. You hope it will. A lot of people hope it will. I think 75% is uh, uh, the majority that they need, 75%. So that's uh, that's a, a still a fairly high one. If you get some sticklers and, and you know, each union uh, will have their say and each union will look at their balance sheet when they have their say and they want to fix that straight away. The first thing they want to do is fix the balance sheets so they can actually operate and, and look forward planning with a, a little bit of confidence that they've got some substance there to go out and spend if they have to or at least pay the bills. Uh, so I think um, you know they'll look at that very closely, and then of course provincial rugby, in the end, is a representative of club rugby and junior rugby. So you know, as I said, how far down do you have to 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 go? I mean, are they going to get the last drop, the last drop in the ocean, or should they perhaps be getting a nice healthy drop um, before uh, you get to that point? That you know that and. I, uh, the, the people I mix with around club rugby, and there are quite a few of them around here, are very, very disappointed. Very disappointed with how it's looking and how it's shaping up. Uh, trying to put teams together. Uh, what are they going to do to entice people back to rugby? Not just stay with rugby, because the staying with rugby is, is the numbers are, are not good. Staying with rugby, it's, it's the ones that got to get back. How are they going to do that? And, and can they do that with money? Yeah, trickle-down economics doesn't really work, does it, Smithy? They need a cash injection directly into the club game. They can't rely on the provincial unions and it trickling down because it'll get used up before it gets to them. I think you're exactly right. OK, well, uh, it's 9.52 here on SENZ. More on that throughout the morning. Um, but uh, a chance uh, I won't fix the rugby union's problems or any club rugby's problems, but uh, we'll try and get you some money with a multi very shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Uh, Utah Jazz were leading the Lakers for quite some time yesterday, but LeBron, LeBron came to the party and uh, they got up and beat the Jazz. So that was uh, the end of yesterday's one. So we'll go for one for the weekend. At the moment, we're 8 and 17. Uh, the Chiefs to beat the Highlanders, uh, I think that will be the go. Uh, that's a buck 40. That's uh, the 4 o'clock, 4.30 game tomorrow afternoon. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets to beat the Wizards this afternoon at $1.50 in the NBA. Melbourne City, these are both A-League games. Melbourne City to beat Newcastle uh, at $1.45. And uh, Western United to beat West Sydney. Western United to beat West Sydney Wanderers at 2 bucks. Uh, that game's tomorrow, so the return for the weekend would be $6.09. Uh, just time for a text here from Mike. Uh, good morning, guys. Read the deal. It would be interesting to hear what... 
Uh, the retired and maligned NZR chairman Brett Impey has to say about the final range uh, final arrangement. My impression that he thought the players' greed was at the expense of the New Zealand game. The grassroots situation will paint the picture sooner rather than later. So there's a genuine feeling uh, from a lot of people out there. Clubs, clubs are very, very important. Grassroots are very, very important. I don't think that can be denied for one second. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Jenny Binden after 10 o'clock. Jenny Binden is a former Football Ferns goalkeeper. Exciting times for the uh, New Zealand Football Ferns and the Football Phoenix. We'll hear from Jenny very shortly. Uh, meanwhile, I'm going to try and complete my signing in to our tipping competitions for the weekend and I urge you to do the same thing. Uh, go to our website and uh, get the details. 9.59, coming up 10 o'clock uh, shortly, news time. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. It is uh, 10.03 here on SCNZ in the mornings and really good time, cool time actually for women's football and to be talking about it, uh, the football fans kick off the She Believes Cup in California today when they take on Iceland, uh, that's from 2 o'clock New Zealand time uh, and then they'll also meet the, the USA and the Czech Republic at the tournament, so great experience there. Uh, joining us to, to take a look at the tournament is Los Angeles-based former football fans Jenny Binden who's played 77 games over the space of of a decade from 2004, 2014. Uh, Jenny, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, Before we talk about the football ferns, can we talk a wee bit about you? You were born in the States, but ended up playing for New Zealand. Uh, How did that come about? Yeah, uh, my husband was Kiwi. Uh, Met him at university. He played volleyball with the national team for a very long time. Uh, Bindles, as he's known uh, in the volleyball world. And uh, we met decided to move to New Zealand and yeah kind of from there you never know who's watching so I was playing pickup soccer and um, got asked to play on uh, with the in the National League and through that and club and yeah and that that kind of took off from there I was working at Nike New Zealand at the time and quit my job there and became a full-time mom and uh, football player and it worked out pretty good for me. So you were coaching here too for a while uh, as well before moving back to the States. Are you still heavily involved in the game? Still heavily involved in the game. Um, I'm currently doing some scouting with U.S. soccer. I uh, am involved with a, a coaching organization and, and doing things like that. And Yeah, just, just around the game as much as I can. And uh, It's coaching, so always always looking for new adventures. And it's it's been pretty good. My son's over here. He's 17 now. And getting bigger every day and uh, playing at a really high level with uh, LAFC Academy. And um, he's training with the, the USL team, the lights, uh, Vegas lights and off and on. So he's doing really good. So we're just kind of waiting to see what the next adventure is for, for the Binden family. Okay. So that could well be a, a trip around the MLS then. Yeah. Or Europe or who knows we don't we don't really make plans we just kind of roll with what happens that's that's the football world right you got to be willing to take the opportunities that come your way and that's how we ended up back here in Los Angeles in the first place so yeah it's pretty good I would imagine there's a spot for him in the Phoenix if you ever really wanted to come back here yeah I mean if you can make that happen we'd love to come back to New Zealand (laughs) 
Okay, let's talk talk about football, Jenny, and uh, and the states. Uh, we we sort of get carried away, particularly this time of the year with Super Bowl, the NBA, and and all those sorts of things. But uh, it's it's a good deal bigger than we give it credit for. And the uh, the United States women's team has got as high a profile as any probably women's sports team in the world, hasn't it? I think it would have the highest profile of any women's team in the world. The U.S. is ranked number one. They've been number number one and, and number four for many years now. They they put this. This is the seventh She Believes Cup. Um, it's around this time every year, kind of opening up in that first FIFA window of the of the new year. And I think it's really important that you know they keep this going forward. Other teams are doing other adventures, but. Again, the U.S. Uh, you know has got Iceland ranked number 16th, New Zealand 22nd, and Czech Republic 24th. So it's a good little roundout for them to get ready for the season um, and get get ready for this World Cup that's coming to New Zealand, Australia, which I hope New Zealand is ready for because it's absolutely going to be amazing. Well, it is going to be amazing, and I think New Zealand. We're going to get plenty of practice. We've got the uh, the Cricket World Cup for women here very shortly, uh, the Rugby World Cup later in the year. So. Uh, your one would be uh, third cab off the rank, and I think we'll know how to run them by there. Uh, but we need to we need to be competitive too uh, when you're hosting a tournament. Uh, so these uh, particular tournaments, uh, these little fixtures like this, uh, she believes cup is so crucial for the football ferns. It is, and I think that's the real positive of bringing Yitka into the. You know, she's got this this real change the mindset. You know that uh, making players understand that that we can win. You know, keep possession of the ball, control the play, and make sure that that we're now you know in this phase of of when women's football really took off back in in two thousand and five, two thousand and seven, going to the to the World Cup is is now we've we've been in these tournaments. We're prepared. We understand what it means. Now it's time to to go get some wins. And I think her goal of wanting to advance through through the first uh, rounds into the next play is so achievable for these ladies and when you look at the the roster and who's there there's experience and now even these younger players coming through like your Malia Steinmetz I mean you've got people in the Gabby Rennie playing over in in the states Jackie Han in the states I mean Hannah Wilkinson coming back from injury when you look at those forwards I mean they're young and you got someone like Hannah Wilkinson that scores against the U.S. and scores against big teams in that front line and then you've got you know the 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 midfielders are very solid they've been doing it for a long time with you know katie bowen now now back you know moving around she's with courage so she's doing really well understands what it means to play in the states rhea percival is killing it i mean wow what she's been able to do in the game is absolutely amazing uh play playing for tottenham and, and getting big wins in that profile so i think having those experiences with abby ursig back in um the story of rebecca stott wow I think there's so many positive mm. things uh, for this team um, that's just going to progress and move and move them into the direction and be ready to to do and achieve what that Yitka wants them to do on the pitch. I, I I'm really excited to get out to the game today and see what they can do. So uh, to be fair, uh, sometimes New Zealand sides play against opposition uh, a little bit better than them, so that puts the defensive side of things under pressure, and in particular your old area. Uh, the goalkeeping stocks. How, how do you think we are there? Yeah, I mean, Aaron's, Aaron's. You know, she's signed with the team. She's back playing, and 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 I think that's really positive for her to get her. You know, she's she's kind of led that. And then you have, you know, Victoria Vic. Just she's she's come off of that win with South Korea, with a her her first start as a, as a clean sheet. Who wouldn't want as a keeper want to start like that? And then, you know, Lily's just had their first win with the Phoenix. She's coming over. I mean, there's really positive. I think the 
the the goalkeeping is getting stronger and stronger. I mean, Anna Lead is with West Ham, and um, you know, so they've got someone, another fourth that's that's ready and itching to come in when she's prepared to play. And I think it's great for for New Zealand. And you know, as a goalkeeper playing for New Zealand, you 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 have to be ready. Uh, at all times, you you get a good little workout back there, but it's it's gotten better, and and the the players in front are are stronger, and and I think it's it's the job isn't as hard as it used to be, maybe, but uh, these these ladies are well prepared and getting opportunities playing overseas, and if you if you watch them play, they're they're pretty pinnacle in, in the success of of New Zealand, so I think it's it's great. So over the next uh, the course of this uh, particular tournament, the uh, She Believes Cup. Uh, the United States, as you, you point out, are number one. Uh, Iceland's 16th. Uh, we are 22nd ranked in the world at the moment, and the Czech Republic 24th. Realistic results, Jenny, from your point of view? I think um, I think that New Zealand be really prepared for this Iceland game. I think that Iceland's come off of, uh, you know, they, they have just qualified. They, they're good play. They're, they had a lot. They had four wins and a loss, I think. Um, and then we've had four, four losses and a win. So... We've had the last win, so I think that that's a positive. I think the girls are going to take that into to what the game is going to present today. I think Iceland will match up really well against against New Zealand in the four three three shape, but I think we have what it takes on on the counter to to create and score goals. And if we can uh, press them and and limit space from them, I don't think they're going to be very successful. I think, you know, I, this is a game that we've got to get a result from. If it's a draw, it's a draw. But I, I hope that there's goals being scored because I think that's that's where New Zealand needs to really shift is being able to score in all of these games, um, and then making sure that they get the results from Iceland and, and the Czech Republic. So, uh, and then U.S. be competitive. I mean, you never know. We're, we've played the U.S. so many times that anything is possible. I think back in the day when we used to play the U.S., I think I think uh, you know the. Alex Morgan and, and whoever was playing that time were having cup of teas uh, before they came out on the pitch, but now they have to prepare. And I think that through COVID has been really hard for everybody, but it's actually slowed everybody down. So other countries, I believe, can catch up. So, you know, everyone's had to go through this pandemic. It's made a little bit more level playing field. It's been hard for all teams to play. Um, and I think there's is tournament is probably the best tournament with the play with the teams you know i think um the czech republic was replaced brazil uh because brazil mm -hmm. pulled out last minute with covid so i think having a team that's 16 they get a result from iceland they beat czech republic you can see new zealand jump a couple spaces in the ranking and i would love to see them get back in that top 20. jenny because uh, of course we don't see and, and because of covid at the moment it's not impossible to to play international sport in this country because of quarantine, etc. We don't get to see them at home. We're, we only see them from afar. So we've we've hardly got to know uh, Klimkova, and uh, we we really don't know much about her. Tell us about the job you, you think that she's doing with this, this squad. Well, Yitka's on her second, so she she was over with uh, the U twenties in New Zealand, um, and and took them to to to. Uh, you know, so she's coached there before in New Zealand, so she's not unknown to the New Zealand landscape. Um, Yitka is, is is been based in the Czech Republic for the last few few months, trying to get into New Zealand. But Yitka is is a visionary. She's someone that um, understands development of bringing and changing a culture. So she's very friendly, very approachable, which I believe is what the type of the players want in today's 
era. They want to be a coach that they can approach and feel comfortable to approach. And Yitka definitely does that. Um, and she she surrounds herself around really positive people. And she creates an environment for for the mindset to be of belief and of winning. And I think that's the shift. You know, we've gone through all these coaches. And if we go back to the legendary John Herdman from the from those days, it was all around the, you know, the long term plan. And I think we're in in an area where we are now ready to win. And it wasn't just to compete to compete. Now we're in that compete to win phase. And I think Yitka is the right person to to take this team to the next level. And Getting results from the she believes is super important, not only for for her, um, but for the ferns. You mentioned before uh, the United States as the number one ranked team in the world and probably the highest profile women's sporting team in the world, but it hasn't been all plain sailing for them in the, the last particular wee while, and uh, they're looking at some uh, relatively veteran players uh, just about coming to the end of it. Where do you think? They are placed at the moment. I mean, it's important for us to keep an eye on them. They will be favourites for the World Cup, I would imagine, uh, in 2023. But the, the Rapinoes, the Morgans, the Ertz, uh, where, will, where will they be at that time? Oh, I think they'll, they'll be looking for this World Cup as, as probably maybe their, their last hurrah. I mean, most, you know, Alex has just had a, had, had a baby, and they're, but they're playing. And, but the game has changed so much that now they're set up to be successful. And I think this team that you'll see, you've got Jalen Howe who's come in. You have some players that have stepped away that aren't available maybe uh, for, this, for this games of the She Believes Cup. So some, there, there are some younger ones that are getting opportunities. But it's the U.S. And when one goes you know, Abby, we're all talking about Abby Wambach and then we're talking about Alex Morgan. So is it, who's next? Is it, you know, um, Macario, uh, they, it's the, they always got somebody. Trinity Rodman is the big, big name over here at the moment. She just signed a, a four-year deal uh, in the NWSL um, over a million dollars. So it's, there's a lot of pressure on them to always perform and do well. And, and they, they step up to it. And I think, our players being around those types of individuals and, and seeing that they, they, they can do it too. I mean, we've had, you know, Allie's now back uh, in Los Angeles playing for, for Angel City. She's, she's going to be a big asset for them as a homegrown, basically born and raised here in Los Angeles and then coming back to play. And I think, you know, we got to look at New Zealand too. You know, um, Allie, we've got a lot of veterans as well that have been playing with the names that you're mentioning and played against them multiple mm-hmm. times. So, I think we we you know we've got the experience we've got what it takes to match up with the U.S. and yes they are the U.S. and they're very good um, and but they're always replaceable too and I think all those players that are, are coming in for the U.S. like your Trinity Rodmans your Ashley Sanchez Jalen Howe if she gets to play Alana Cook those players are are wanting to you know they're at the heels of the players that you've mentioned so U.S. is always in a in a good spot because the quality and the amount of players that play the game here is is abundance. Um, but uh, yeah, I think anyone is, when you're at the top, it's hard to stay there. And at some point, the world is going to catch them. And I believe New Zealand is, is part of the world that's catching them. That's great, Jenny. It's great to hear positive thoughts. Uh, thank you so much to, uh, <laughs> for finding, fi- finding some time to talk to us this morning. It's been very enlightening, actually. Uh, and we look forward no to this. Uh, she believes. Yeah, it's great. She believes Cup on uh, over the next uh, week or so. Uh, we look forward to uh, just see how our girls go. Jenny, thank you so much. No worries. Take care, mate. All the best. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Jenny Binden there. Uh, out of the United States, of course, um, very experienced uh, footballer in her own right. Um, 
I, I probably should have asked Jenny in the light of where we were talking about with uh, with Silver Lake, just how much uh, a top flight United States women's footballer would make. I think we'd be quite surprised. It might be quite eye-watering. John? Yeah, well, it just sounds like she was talking about Trinity Rodman there, who is Dennis Rodman's daughter, uh, just getting a million-dollar contract. So that's basically what a top all-black makes, Smithy. So they're getting paid pretty well, and I'd say that would be American dollars. I think think she said that for four years. I could be wrong, though, whether that was a million a year for four years or four years for a million bucks. But it's worth looking into when you start comparing apples with oranges and salaries with whatever. Um, So, yeah, it'd be nice. So we're going to go to a panel very shortly. It's 10.19 here. On SENZ. The reason there is because um, Matt Henry cut their anchor and shoved them off. It was it was just beautiful to, um, to watch him get that chance. And cool to see uh, his teammates get as excited about it as they do. Now, I know they do for any bowler who takes wickets, but there seemed to be something special about um, Matt Henry. And he's not going to be remembered among the greats, but I think he should be remembered uh, when his career comes there as a guy who was always there when the Black Caps needed him. And he's been, yeah, I... I, I think in a different era he plays, you know, 50, 60 test matches. Easy. He does. Some people said he'd uh, if he'd have played for someone else in a different or in a different era, he'd have 200 test wickets by now. But does that mean, yep. under the Ajaz Patel theory, uh, Sam Ackerman, that he's guaranteed <laughs> to play in the next? Is he is he guaranteed when Trent Bolt comes back? That's the funny thing. Well, by the Ajaz Patel theory, they have to drop him, don't they? I mean, isn't that um, they can't they can't play him if he if he if he produces those kind of figures? Um, it's mm. I. I, I, I don't. It certainly means his place is not guaranteed. It, it, it certainly means that. Um, and Trent Bolt uh, has uh, earned his place in the New Zealand team on what he's achieved. That said, do we feel that it's uh, um, he's the right person for that? Gary Stead made it very clear uh, with the AJS Patel example that it's horses for courses. So. Um, Given that the uh, the co- the horses are having the same course and <laughs> the same venue, yeah. it's been pretty hard to say yeah. to say no. No, I think you're right, um, but it's going to be very interesting. Uh, who's in? Who's out? Uh, uh, but there's a lot of uh, cricket to be played before then. Uh, James, can we talk to you uh, about the the uh, Camilla Villieva issue from a journalistic point of view? It's it's been great copy, but it's been a nightmare, and uh, I think almost a sense of relief. Uh, that she missed out yesterday and won't be on the podium. It, it probably saved a few blushes. Yeah, certainly saved a few headaches, that's for sure. It's just such a shame that that was even the case, that some were maybe hoping that she missed out because of everything that's that's gone on before. It's just such a shame that it's kind of overshadowed both her and the event and a, a bit of the whole games as well because it's obviously just become some kind of political football and... and She's obviously very talented and, and clearly very young as well, so hopefully this doesn't have a huge impact on her going forward because she's clearly got a lot of talent. She's got a lot to offer. It's just a shame that she's got caught up in whatever has gone on in the build-up to the games. And, yeah, it probably is a good thing that she didn't go that well yesterday and, and missed out, but just one of those head scratches. You go, how did it? kind of get to this and, and hopefully this is the, the kind of last we've heard of this sort of thing throughout this games because everything else has been pretty spectacular considering the circumstances around COVID and where the, where the event's being held in, in a pretty tricky kind of environment so yeah from a, from a journalistic point of view it's, it's good and it's a good discussion point but hopefully from a fan's point of view it's kind of the last we've heard about it as well 
you know, Sam, what worries me is this. You know, a lot of focus has been on the likes of uh, Simone Biles. A lot of focus has been on Naomi Osaka. But what kind of pressure at the age of 15 is this girl feeling, uh, you know, outside of the actual skates itself? I mean, what is she going to have to endure going forward? I've never felt worse or felt more compassion towards a, an alleged uh, doper in my entire life. As a 15-year-old, we're not sitting here and saying, surely, that she is uh, the master of her uh, destiny and has made these decisions and uh, what a cheater and what a rorter. There's no way in the world that this, well, I, 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 in my personal view, that this was a, a decision based on her. She was, she was doing something on the sly or deliberately falling into anything other than what she is being um, pressured to do. You're absolutely right, Smithy. As far as what the, the pressure is on her, I hope she's getting the, uh, the right level of support um, that uh, um, some of her age should um, should be so susceptible to um, what's going on around her, and I don't for a second, not for a second, think that fourth place finish had um, was was anything to was cutting out the the outside noise. The pressure of what was going on in her world absolutely would have contributed to her result. Uh, and yes, it's, it's while it might say might save a headache. I mean, it, it's a ridic- the IOC need a uh, need a bit of an uppercut uh, with this, and certainly uh, those who have thrown her in this situation uh, deserve to have the full force. Um, throw at them afterwards. Look, put it this way: if she had shown up there without a mask, they wouldn't let her compete. She's tested positive uh, to a banned substance, and she's allowed to compete until things are sorted. Work that one out. Yeah, it is staggering. Uh, stay with us, guys, please, James, uh, Sam. We've got plenty to talk about, uh, but in the meantime, we'll catch up with uh, Emma and the latest news. James Regan and Sam Ackerman with us this morning on the panel. And Sam, we had uh, Rob Nickel on the show late yesterday after the announcement that the Silver Lake deal is going to proceed with uh, the rubber stamping, of course, of the provincial unions and the New Zealand Maori board. Uh, um, he was pretty damned excited about it. I imagine you, he would be. Uh, what about Sam Ackerman? Uh, I'm, I, I'd put Silver Lake so far out of my sphere um, after all the uh, the toing throwings uh, and battles over the previous year that I, it, it kind of almost blindsided me when it came back um, into conversation. And look, I'm I'm comfortable with it because um, it's first of all it's I, I don't view the asset of uh, the All Blacks and uh, and and professional rugby within New Zealand as the nations. It's a commodity and it's owned by New Zealand Rugby. Now, if they want to run it to the ground and with different decisions, that's that's their call and New Zealand will then turn their back on it and go to whatever else they, they go to. I don't think this is a deal that's going to run things into the ground. I think some of the same concerns in the long term and what will happen still exist, but at the same time, um, what, what are they supposed to do? They've got an asset where they need to um, be able to bring money in. It's been a damn difficult couple of years um, for sport around the world, and I think there would be very few sporting organisations on the planet that would have a deal like that available to them in this current climate and turn their nose up at it. So uh, I'm, I'm comfortable. I think that the fight back from the players and the public in general uh, last year would probably help um, New Zealand rugby in the long term as far as nothing out some of the, uh, the finer points with Silver Lake to make sure they don't get any PR disasters 
coming out of this because it was all forewarned for both parties and Silver Lake had every opportunity to walk away so I doubt they were, they were making sinister plans to screw everybody over after making uh, all those concessions. So I'm, I'm comfortable, I think it's important for the game um, and certainly uh, as the rules stand about picking people within this country we need to keep talent here for the All Blacks to uh, go well because it is still New Zealand's favourite pastime watching the All Blacks play. Thanks for that, uh, James Regan. So where, for you, should uh, the bulk of the money be? Should it go at the top end? Should it go on, as Sam said, keeping those big boys at home? Or do we uh, have to just uh, take note of those people down the bottom that say there are issues down the bottom that need serious attention and money will help that? Yeah, I, I think it definitely starts at the top because that's where that's where the brand is, right? The All Blacks, the Black Ferns, the Seven, they are the kind of showpiece for the New Zealand rugby brand. So they should probably be taken care of first, if, if that sounds maybe wrong, but the money should definitely trickle down and, and that'll be kind of the test mm. for this deal, whether people can filter the money down to, to the local clubs. Speaking to a couple of them yesterday, they were they were thinking this is great as long as what they say is going to happen actually does happen and they get, even if it's just a couple of grand clubs were saying from this deal, that, that can go a long way for them. And they, those clubs still produce our All Blacks. They're the ones that, that bring these guys into the game. They give them a home and they, and they nurture them and they nurture the talent that go on to be our All Blacks and our Black Ferns. So, yeah, probably, it does probably have to start at the very top, making sure that our biggest names stay on these shores, which has been a battle in recent years. But as long as the money gets the provinces and it makes the, the grassroots game stronger, not just not just at club level but at minor 10 level as well, making that game uh, stronger as well. So that, that's the key and that'll be the test and that'll be what probably held up this deal in the first place, making sure that every everyone gets, mm. gets a piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, uh, James, uh, look, Super Rugby begins finally this weekend, all the speculation, uh, the COVID, the relocation, the bubbles, etc., are you uh, are you up for it? Uh, have you uh, had enough of waiting? Yeah, enough of waiting. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like and how it goes, bearing in mind where it is and, and what the players have had to kind of do to get down there. Uh, definitely ready for it. I'm I'm hoping that obviously Moana Pacifica can can sort themselves out and recover from that COVID bout. I think there was definitely a lot of nerves that uh, there would be a few more cases there, but that seems to be okay. But yeah, let, let's just get some rugby going. I think we're all ready for it. There's been a lot of COVID chat. There's probably a bit of COVID fatigue amongst the rugby community. So let's just get into it. And the, the night games and the games under the roof in Dunedin will be great. There'll be It'll be great rugby, hopefully, especially early on um, in the season when it's a bit drier. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and say, look, I'm a, I'm a Chiefs man, but I think the Blues will be the team to beat this year I think the talent that they've got once they get going Leon McDonald's a great coach and he'll he'll get them going so yeah my early view will be the Blues will be the team to beat uh, Sam I, I want to take, uh, talk to you about a, a league matter but it's not an on the field one it's an off the field one and uh, one of the headlines uh, this morning because it's uh, a pretty quiet time as we get forward uh, look forward to the start of uh, yet another great NRL season uh, it was about commentary uh, it's about Isaac Luke taking uh, fire at uh, Brandy Alexander over his pronunciation of uh, Tadeo uh, and not showing the right respect in the Indigenous game. <laughs> what did you make of uh, Isaac coming out there? 
Uh, well, first of all, um, it's you, know, you, you can tell that it's a, uh, a quiet week in rugby league when um, the controversy is the uh, the undertones of racism, which is, which can be uh, sitting in any element of Australia at any given time um, that you want to. But I, I'm, I applaud Isaac Luke for calling it out because I think any of us who um, sit there and have listened to the uh, the, the names, you know, I think of Warriors players in particular, uh, get um, get butchered over the years, and we as a culture in New Zealand have been guilty of. Um, of taking it on for you know the Clinton Tupi instead of Clinton Torpy, um, the Manu Vatuve and Vatuvais, you know, it's, it's, it's all we we allowed the Australian commentary to dictate how we use that language, and that's changed uh, a lot in the uh, the last ten years or so. Uh, but Australia as a country are very slow to pick that up. I think that it was the right call to make, and it's so easy for Fox. I think this criticism should hopefully land home. By the way, Brandy Alexander is uh, whether you like this commentary or not, and and, I, and what he has, has achieved in the game, you will not find me. Um, belittling any of his achievements in that way, he would have to put his hand up and say that he um, is a uh, inco- completely incapable of saying any Pacific uh, Island or Maori names. It's just, it's just who he is. It's going to take an awful long, lot of training to get through to, uh, to Brandy on that one. Um, but uh, I, I think that next time it'd be pretty easy. They've got Benji Marshall as part of the on the payroll um, at uh, at Fox. They've been using him as a uh, analyst for uh, a fair while. You could just throw Benji Marshall in that commentary mix and have him come in and speak of the culture and use the correct names uh, and pronunciation as you go through. Same thing with uh, with Indigenous. They're, they're prolific, the Aussies, and particularly um, the, the league commentators for just having um, complete air swings at, uh, at names and place names and locations. So uh, hopefully it's a little bit of a wake-up call, but uh, let's not expect a, a reinvention of the wheel anytime soon. Sam Ackerman uh, and James Regan, thanks so much for your time this morning. Absolutely brilliant, uh, those thoughts, particularly um, across the board. And really, uh, we'll have another panel on Monday morning uh, and a bit of a review of the weekend. Maybe the Black Caps will have uh, wrapped it up by then, but I think South Africa will fight back a little bit. I just got a feeling South Africa might hang in there. Uh, There's a great saying in cricket, the first session, this next session, it's the most important one of the game. It is the stupidest saying in cricket, but we all say it as commentators because, of course, it is. Of course, the next one's got to be the most experienced thing and uh, the most important one in the game. Why do we get away with saying that as stupid, dumb cricket commentators? It's 10.41 here in SENZ. On the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.46 here on SENZ. Uh, morning, boys. This is from Brendan. Do the clubs have any bargaining with the big wigs and players association? Uh, say we'll sign, but want our top professional players to play a certain amount of club rugby games. Get it back to in the gla- grassroots, and how good would that be? I uh, watched the game in Queenstown a while ago with Marshy, uh, Woody, and uh, Andrew Hoare playing, and it was a big crowd uh, with no doubt good takings over the bar as well. I think we're dreaming a wee bit uh, if we expect them to play club rugby. The only way you're going to get a semblance of them playing club rugby is if they are coming back from injury. That's the only way I think that will happen. Uh, In terms of uh, filtering their way back through NPC level, pretty much the same. Uh, Pretty much the same, I think. Um, But uh, then again, you're you're looking at... The squads are so big now, and there's so many... That's the thing that gets me about it, John. The squads are so big uh, that there's so many players who almost... I won't say the word redundant, but don't get the footy that perhaps their bodies and their, you know, their career needs. Uh, and I think may, maybe that should be addressed. Yeah, they just end up being what tackle bags at training or learning how to be the opposition. 
uh, for the whole season and, and barely play. Yeah, I don't know. Just the creation of Super Rugby created a tier of rugby that we didn't really need, and now we pour so much money into it. We just needed NPC and All Blacks, didn't we? And then along came Super Rugby, and now we're just paying so many players at so many levels. I think we've got one too many levels of rugby. And then add in high school rugby, which is basically professional. So you've got professional high school rugby, club rugby, provincial rugby, super rugby and all blacks. That's a lot of people to worry about, Smithy. I think we just created too many tiers of rugby, mate. Well, surely no, none of this money will go to secondary schools who can then go and contract players on scholarship. Surely that won't filter in that direction, John. Oh, you bloody hope not. Yeah, like teams like so high schools up here in Auckland have got already enough money to pinch all the good players from around the country and from the islands as well. Don't don't forget they poach mm. guys like Sevu Reese and uh, Shannon Frizzell and guys like Malachi Fikitoa uh, every day of the week. So no, nah, they've got plenty. I hope they get no money. Uh, on a, a sensitive issue, um, we, we always read out pretty much uh, all the texts that come in here. Uh, someone has uh, come in and said, if you mispronounce a French rugby player's name, are you considered racist as well? Uh, it's, a real, it's a real delicate issue, I think. Uh, yeah, and uh, having commentated a lot of uh, French rugby teams that have come here, it is something that you, you are asked to focus on. Uh, the the uh, demand now is greater, I can promise you that, within Sky Television anyway, to get it right pronunciation-wise. Uh, a number of our commentators, senior commentators, myself included, uh, have had to uh, uh, undergo, I won't say had to, but have been invited to undergo uh, pronunciation lessons in, in terms of uh, Māori and Pacifica, uh, and we're still not perfect at that, we never will be, uh, but I think if you're perceived to have made a genuine effort uh, and get close to the mark, it's a lot better than not trying at all. Uh, so, uh, and that's just carrying on from the, the Brandy Alexander point of view and Sam Ackerman's comments there. But it is a focus, folks. I can tell you that it's a massive focus uh, to get it right out of respect and uh, and just uh, out of quality of broadcast as well. So I won't d- deny it. Um, all of us uh, are guilty of making mistakes, um, but uh, certainly it's it's something. If you if you uh, really want to have a crack, have a crack at um, and practice yourself on uh, maybe a Fijian rugby side. Have a crack at a Sri Lankan cricket side very quickly as well. Uh, it's not always that easy. Uh, if the world was full of more Smiths, yay, and Joneses, yay, uh, we'd be happy. Uh, it, uh, maybe we should go commentate in Wales. It is 10.50 here on SENZ, and it is uh, time for a, a short break. And then we're going to talk to uh, Tana Walters. Haina Walters is going to jump in the saddle uh, for Louis Herman Watt this morning and give us a little bit of an insight uh, into what's coming up over the weekend in the racing side of things. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Well, courtesy of the good oil, which you hear uh, every Saturday afternoon here on SENZ, we have got uh, Tana Walters uh, coming into uh, us, uh, replacing Louis Herman Watt, and what an able replacement he is too, Tana. Uh, they're racing at New Plymouth today on a dead four. They'll be hoping they don't have any disruptions. Um, so there's that one, and in case uh, Ellerslie and Invercargill uh, tomorrow, Avondale Guineas the feature. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a big day racing tomorrow. Uh, we see the return of the 1,000 guineas winner too, the perfect pink. So big uh, racing and field of gold, which beat her last start uh, at Ellerslie. 
will be going up against her. So uh, plenty of racing to be had tomorrow, and we're all cracking into it, ready to go. Okay, well, let's look at uh, that field because it is class from uh, one down to number 13 where this, uh, this Lark Creek is, is uh, certainly capturing a lot of attention uh, with, it, with its form. Yeah, well, it hasn't done anything wrong to be uh, daughter of Vadimos. She's looking for a fifth win as well. So um, when it comes down to training, Simon and Katrina Alexander, they definitely know how to, how to line up a horse and they've got a great strike rate when it comes to winning as well. We're looking at uh, Tutakaka, which was so impressive um, at Ellerslie, just missing out there. Uh, change of jockey there because what Leith Innes is uh, committed to uh, through the Lindsays to Marchand. Yeah, that's right. Um, but Tutakaka also the the brother of Melody Bell uh, for Tony Pike and Jonathan Riddell. They pair up and they're, uh, they're paying $6 there too. So it's a pretty competitive field all around, that's for sure. Perfect Pink uh, down at 12 uh, has attracted a lot of attention as well um, as anything probably does uh, out of the Jamie Richards stable at the moment with Boston on board. Yeah, draw the inside too and um, she was flying down the outside last start just to finish in behind Field of Gold and you'd expect that Opie will uh, give another gem of a ride like he did uh, when he took out the 1,000 guineas last time. Well, we actually saw each other back in, uh, down in Christchurch too, Smithy. So mm, we did. Uh, expect fireworks from that uh, talented Philly boy, Sabah Bill. You're on deck tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon, Tana? Yeah, we certainly are. We've got uh, the legend that is the Kraka King himself, Steve Davis, joins us too. So he's just come off doing a bit of auctioneering for uh, the standard bread sales. So uh, he's got plenty of stories too. And if you don't want to tune in, don't forget the good all from 1pm tomorrow on SCNZ. Good on you, Tainer. Thanks very much for that. Uh, enjoyed your input. Uh, Pip Morris has uh, joined us from the TAB. Another very busy weekend of Greyhound racing today. Addington and Palmerston North and some betting, I would imagine, too. Uh, Pip on Super Rugby all of a sudden. Certainly is, Smithy. Good morning to you. Your Palmerston North Greyhounds uh, bonus back races too on the first two races. So well with having a look there. New Plymouth as well, where the best backs is La Flora Bell, Apache Anne and Black Eyed and in race two, Sofa Maze by a mile. The bonus black blitzes back across the week and across Ellerslie, the first four races, Invercargill, Rose Hill and Flemington. And there, you're right, Super Rugby seems to be the most popular option there is the Crusaders. One to 12, very close. There was 13 plus for the Crusaders. And, of course, the Chiefs to win one to 12 is a very popular option. Pip Morris, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You'll be busy, I'm sure, on trackside and all over the joint, but have a great weekend. Uh, we've got uh, an interesting last hour of the week coming up, uh, including a visit to a young greyhound trainer. That'll be interesting as well. And a visit to Beijing with Jeff McTain. Runs by uh, Nico and uh, Miguel, Miguel Knight, uh, which gives him an opportunity to uh, surprise, I guess, uh, today and a chance for the podium. Uh, but the acid is on uh, Nico Portia. So much expected him. It's been like five, six, seven weeks we've been talking about this young guy. Uh, and today's the day. Yeah, Nico has had a lot of pressure on him, Smith, that's for sure. But the read I get is that he is a very process-driven, very focused young man. And obviously the results speak for themselves, what he's managed to achieve over the last few years. I mean, he's the double X Games gold medalist, the world champion. He's skied with these guys before. But I did ask him yesterday, I said, you know, you've 
despite the fact you've been to World Championships, X Games, World Cups, all that sort of thing, um, you, you know, is there a different sort of a feeling when you're standing up there at the top of an Olympic Games? And, and he said there was. So, you know, there's, there's that to deal with, there's that pressure, there's that expectation, and, and he wants to do well for New Zealand. Obviously, he wants to win that gold medal, but I think when it all comes down to it for Nico, and like anything you do, I think he, he, he's just focused on skiing well. Um, so, you know, he'll go out there. He, he knows he's got the tricks to, to do it. I mean, at X Games, he, he, he landed a 14.40 followed by back-to-back 16.20s, which are four-and-a-half rotations. So he's doing four-and-a-half yeah. rotations, and he's going off the other side of the pipe and doing it again. So um, the Americans, I mean, they're the, they're the ones. Aaron Blunk, who was top qualifier yesterday, former world champion in X Games gold medalist David Wise, he's in the mix too. He's the defending double Olympic champion. So a lot of pressure there. Miguel is a former... X Games silver medalist Miguel Porteous. So he knows too that if he can put it down, Smithy, in, in those three runs of the final, he's a chance too. But a lot of pressure on Nico. I know that um, he wants to do well, but he's just going to go out and ski his best. Uh, those, uh, that final is tomorrow, by the way, folks. By uh, Tomorrow uh, for Nico Porteous and Miguel Porteous. Uh, all eyes on that. Uh, great day for you yesterday, personally, Jeff. We're going to play you. Uh, a little, little bit of audio of an inter- interview that you conducted yesterday, and then we'll get your comments. Thank you. Just listen to this, folks. A lot of people back home won't be familiar with this, but you spent a lot of time in New Zealand training, skiing. Yes. What, what were some of your memories from, from that experience? Oh, gosh, meat pies. Um, I have spent a significant amount of time at Kadrona in, uh, in New Zealand over the, my summer, you guys' winter, and I had a meat pie every day for lunch for, like, two months or maybe like a month and a half and I don't think I realized people were like oh like that's so unhealthy but I was like what do you mean it's delicious it's fantastic um and so I guess I didn't realize it was not meant to be like an every single day thing for lunch um but yeah it stuck with me and last year I couldn't go back because of covid so I actually baked my own meat pie at home um and it was delicious you're amazing, Jeff McTainch. Uh, the things that people will tell you that they wouldn't tell normal people, that is the skill of interviewing. And that, folks, is, that, folks, is Eileen Gu. Uh, Eileen Gu, um, uh, is, or Gu Ailing, as uh, some would say, the Chinese free skier who is unofficially the superstar of the games. And you got up close and personal, you lucky man. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. We could grab Eileen for a chat. I, I tell you, I wasn't expecting after that question for her to start talking about New Zealand pies. I, my only regret is that I didn't ask her what, what her favourite uh, flavour was or what her favourite pie was because I certainly know growing up going through Central Otago to Wanaka that we would always stop in Roxburgh for a Jimmy's pie. Smithy, I'm not sure if you've ever had one of those, but they are a, a local delicacy down in, in Central they're, I mean, they're great. I'll tell you what my favourite pie shop is, and I, uh, this is in Arrowtown. There's a corner yep. bakery in Arrowtown. Uh, the pies in there are okay. simply world class. But anyway, should we move on before I start getting hungry? Uh, move to something that sure. Uh, sure. really does um, <laughs> really does uh, leave a bad taste in the mouth, and that's a poor pun when you're talking about food. But this uh, Camilla Valieva situation, we've been speculating from afar about all this. You're on the spot. Uh, what has been the feel about this? And yesterday, of course, um, bombing out, falling, falling badly, and, and missing out on a medal was—it seemed from here almost a relief. Yeah, there's been so much going on with it, and um, I, I think um, you know certainly the vibe on the ground here is that 
yeah, this, a lot of people are trying to steer you away from the controversy and everything that's been going on around it. So with everything that we've had, I mean, there's been, you can count on one hand or two hands that the controversies and, and um, I guess, scandals are around certain things that have happened at this Olympic Games. But certainly with that one, uh, yeah, there's relief. And um, the feeling I'm getting is that people just trying to sweep it under the rug and, and, and finish off the Olympic Games without any more. So that's sort of the buzz I'm getting um, with, with that, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a weird one. So uh, there'll be more to come out of it. I'm sure. I just uh, worry about her welfare going forward. So um, if if you had to right here and now before the Porteous brothers, etc., uh, where would you class the overall New Zealand team's effort as a whole? If you had a report card now, Jeff. Oh, mate, I think it's been amazing. I think it's been fantastic. Um, not just because uh, you know Zoe has won two medals and it's been our most successful games. Um, to that end and now Nico has a chance and Miguel has a chance to add to that collection but I think the thing that stands out for me for me, mate is that the way in which these athletes have, have carried themselves and have composed themselves and have represented New Zealand on the world stage you know um, I know Anya and Chloe didn't make the final yesterday but having a chance to speak to these young athletes I mean they're just so level-headed switched on and, and, and the message that they have for young people I think um, you know you can win all the medals you want in an Olympic Games but I think the really important thing that comes out of of any sporting event any Olympics anything you do as a sports person I think is the message you give to other people and, and the way you carry yourself and I think to that end the way that this New Zealand team has done that I think is, 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 is gold um, so um, you know so that to me is what stands out from this but as I say there's still a chance to to cap it off, and I think I think Nico will do that. I think Miguel has a very good chance as well. So, a, a great way to finish this Olympic Games, bookend it with with another another big moment for New Zealand, hopefully. Uh, but as I say, I think that the way in which um, the team have carried themselves and the messages that they've sent back home has been has been the special thing. Jeff McTain, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. If we don't catch up with you before you head home, safe travels, mate, and uh, look forward to seeing you in a commentary box uh, doing some rugger very shortly, mate. Yeah, look forward to it, mate. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, Jeff McTainch there out of Beijing. We've got a, a, an interview with uh, young Riley Evans very shortly, a greyhound trainer. We've got so many texts. I want to get through a couple of them if I can, John, before we go to the break. Um, Smithy, why can't they produce a bit more friendly batting pitches in Christchurch? You lose the tosh. You're on the back foot. Rather see test cricket go five days instead of three. Good point, Ken. It's finding the balance. You're absolutely spot on there. Uh, there's a lot to be said for watching good batting. And uh, you hope that uh, the bowlers will dominate on uh, day one as they did yesterday. The batting will come to the four. Bat uh, days two, three. Pitch starts to break up on the afternoon of day four and five becomes difficult to hold out or to win a test match. That's the ideal scenario, Ken. We can't find that in this country as yet. Otherwise, we'd have AJ Patel playing. Uh, my friend Hone from uh, Tokomaru Bay comes in and says, uh, racist repronunciation. I'm not so sure, but extra training Reconnected, uh, recorrectness is at least making an effort and to be applauded. On a, uh, hope you're well, mate. Uh, thanks very much for uh, your text in there. Uh, Tony, my old mate Tony's come in here and said, Hey, Smithy, what would your biggest commentary gaffe be? Uh, I can remember a certain post match interview with the French captain following the 2011 World Cup final, perhaps. Uh, not that I'm throwing stones um, or throwing you under the bus here, but yeah, you're right. That was probably my biggest gaffe, and I'll tell you what happened. Uh, so we're, we won the World Cup. By one point, but the player of the match was Pierre Doucetois, 
How's that for French pronunciation? Thierry Dusatois uh, was the, and what a game he played. What an outstanding rugby forward he was. So I'm interviewing him for the world. Disappointed French captain. And the whole time I'm saying to myself, um, while we're waiting, while we're waiting for Nisbo to throw down to me, um, I'm thinking Thierry. Just say Thierry like Thierry Henry. Thierry like Thierry Henry. Thierry like Thierry Henry. Don't call him Thierry. Thierry like Thierry Henry. And Nisbo throws down to me, and what do I do? Call him Thierry Henry. Uh, it was like, well, and then at that point, you're trying to get the hell out. How are you going to bail out of this? So I tried to dig myself out of it and just uh, it was like a, a, a bobcat digger just getting deeper and deeper in the hole. So in the end, I just gave up. The French people hated me. They probably still do. Um, and, and they were sour because they lost as well. So, uh, yeah, it's possible. But um, that was a case of getting trying to get the pronunciation so right, you got the name wrong. Uh, so <laughs> they got the bloke wrong. Very, very embarrassing, um, and I hope it doesn't happen to any fledgling broadcasters. But it's always, it's always nice to have a, a pinnacle in your career, but always also realise where uh, it bottomed out. And uh, that afternoon or that evening at Eden Park was pretty close to it. Eleven sixteen here on SENZ. Greyhounds.org.nz for everything that you want to know about New Zealand greyhounds, and uh, we're going to learn a lot more right now because we're about to talk to uh, a young fellow by the name of Riley Evans. Just uh, 20 years of age, uh, turned uh, last December, and now he is uh, a young greyhound trainer of his own right, uh, having basically taken over training from his mum and dad. Uh, Riley, uh, thanks very much for joining the show. Uh, you're a busy boy today. You've got a number of dogs in today at Addington, I see. Yeah, sure am. Um, got quite a few in the last two races. Um, not too much early on, but yeah, we're, we're, we're really busy towards the end. Yeah, I've got you uh, as having at least one, two, three, four, uh, about uh, fourteen uh, dogs running around today. Pretty much uh, all uh, named Gold Star something. Tell us a wee bit about the Gold Star as- aspect of it. Uh, so Gold Star goes back a long way, about fifteen, twenty years from when Dad trained uh, was a harness trainer, and uh, we had a a uh, horse called Three Gold Stars, and then she we um, bred a bred a horse out of her and then he ended up getting called Gold Star Invasion and uh, ever since then the Gold Star thing sort of stuck and uh, three, her, her name was Three Gold Stars and she was named after the Three Gold Stars on the um, on the Spates bottle so pretty much that's where it all started from. Oh, Wow that is a good story and I can relate to that yeah. I can promise you. <laughs> hey, hey Riley yeah. uh, you're only 20 uh, and as you say it goes back a long way with uh, mum and dad uh, a lot of people would assume you're born into it. Um, have you always just been a greyhounds person? What, what, what about other things growing up? Um, mostly, it was, I just followed followed whatever mum and dad sort of did, and then I did the horses, um, helped out with them. I was only young, so I couldn't really do too much. But then, ten years ago, when they got into the dogs, it was it was a bit easier for me. It's a lot easier to to walk a dog around than what it is a horse. So, um, over the years, I've just slowly. Um, stepped up and helped more and more so yeah pretty much just since mum and dad had been doing the dogs that's all I've sort of wanted to do and there, there was a point where I didn't really maybe want to do be a, a greyhound trainer and I looked at doing a building apprenticeship but um, right. I started doing that and I, I didn't really like that too much so then the the, the obvious option was to go and be a um, greyhound trainer and now that I'm doing that I, I, I won't do anything else Oh, that's great that you've got a real passion and a love for it, uh, Riley. How many how many dogs in the kennel? Uh, I think there's 
just over 50 racing, and then we've got a couple litters of pups and brood bitches and, and our own pets and that. So what, just to enlighten us, uh, what is a typical day for, you know, or the, a kennel that size? What's, what's a typical day for, for you? Um, um, say a non-race day, a non-race day. A non-race day, so that's a Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday for us, and our Sunday is normally our most relaxed day of the week. We don't normally gallop many then, uh, or, or any, but like on a, on a Wednesday, that's uh, clean up the van. Um, like we go out at uh, eight o'clock odd on a Wednesday. It's seven o'clock on a race day, just so we can get sorted and get away. But yeah, on a Wednesday we'll get go out at eight and then and hose all the feed all the dogs, hose the kennels out, and just tick away, gallop a few, uh, and then wash um, and check dogs over for, for the next few days racing and then feed up around 2 o'clock. And then once we feed up, it's sort of all three of us chance to maybe tidy up some kennels, get some mowing done, some spraying, just the odd jobs that, that need to be done to keep the place running. Interesting. So um, when you say you gallop them, um, and, and you know the, the training of them is an interesting thing for me. I mean, you know, uh, we know quite a lot about the dog, uh, the horse training side of things. But when you say you gallop them and, and train them, what are we talking about there? Uh, it sort of depends. Like it depends on how far the dog is along. Like if they're a race dog, we've got a three hundred metre long um, straight track, and they run beside the bike that uh, motorbike down there, and. Um, so the, the race dogs will normally go down there, but then we have a um, challenging lane with a drag lure, um, and that's just so, sort of for the pups so they can chase that, and, and they can learn how to how to chase, just similar to what um, goes on at the track. So it mostly just depends on how far along the dog is, and, and that sort of um, determines what we do with them. Riley, there's uh, two types of greyhound tracks. Of course, there's the circular ones that we're so familiar with in New Zealand, but they have straight ones in Australia. What what, what do you make of them? What, what, could we try a straight greyhound track in New Zealand? I think there's a place for it. Um, obviously, from what I've seen and heard, the straight tracks are a lot safer, so that's something I'm definitely, definitely interested in because um, we all want to take our dogs home. We love them all, so main thing is making sure we take them all home so the we me mum and dad we all like having our long distance dogs and the 700 meters and dogs and the stayers and that so that's obviously going to be something we'd have to sacrifice racing if uh, we want to do the straight tracks but we've sort of cut back on a few of our stayers and we've gone mostly to sprinters now so if if we were to put a straight track in New Zealand it'd something be something we definitely went to but I think I'd probably maybe need to research it a little bit more, more myself. Dad's done a bit on it, but it's something that I'm definitely um, keen to just see and, and learn a bit more information about and go from there. But I'm definitely definitely for um, maybe a little change to as long as the dogs are um, coming off safe and if it means going to a straight track, then hey, that's what we need to do. There is another side to Riley Evans, of course. Uh, there always is. Uh, you're only 20, but, uh, man, you're passionate too about uh, stock car racing, we understand, and you won the Mini Stock Championship last year. Yeah, I sure did. I um, I started in 2018, and, and me and Dad picked it up real quick. He used to race before I was born, so um, I never really got to see him race. I was too young, um, and he gave that up to 
for um, so that he could raise a family. And then I sort of begged and begged him um, to get one. So then we ended up getting one and then sort of slowly just made my way to the top and, and sort of won almost everything you can win in that class. And then, um, yeah, won the New Zealand Champs just nearly a year ago it was. And then um, about three or four months ago, we, we made a step up to, it's called the Super Stocks and, and they're the biggest, one of the biggest, best things you can race in New Zealand are 500 horsepower, in, uh, naturally aspirated, and they're full contact. So hurts a little bit, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. So it's, it's quite good. Me, mum and dad, we all do that. And then we go, we have a barbecue there, and all, all my friends do that. And then a few of the other greyhound trainers, they sponsor me, and, and it's a good thing for all of us. We um we can go there, and, and for the night, we can sort of take our head away from, from the dogs, which I feel is, is quite important. Um, just to give us our own time to relax and do our own thing because as much as we love it, you don't want to be consumed a bit um, by it all the time. Um, just give yourself a little break. So, yeah, we, we love it and, and it gives us something else to do. Man, it sounds like you've got a hell of a cool life, uh, particularly with mum and dad alongside you. Uh, look, we cannot let you go, Riley, without at least tipping us uh, a couple of possibilities today. You've got a pretty big team in there at Addington. Just give us your best two, if you can, please. Uh, two, OK. Um I do really like Goldstar Zagar off the one in the last. He, he's been going quite good, and, and he's one of my best pups from from American Warrior. And um, he's got some good form, and he's slowly trying. He's slowly making it click. So he's got the draw he needs off one. Um, so he's probably one of my one of my best today. And then um, I do like Over and, and Race Eleven off the five. She, she's one last start and. She's slowly getting their form back, and and I, I feel like she can go. She can go back to back today. The um the okay, only Riley, danger. Hey, I really, yeah, oh, yeah. Go on. Oh, the only danger I really see in that race is, is the seven homebush Jeff Row, but but yeah, he, he's off seven, and and seven's a bit of a tricky trap. But yeah, I think she's a good chance. Cool, uh, Riley. Thanks for those tips, but more importantly, thanks for giving us an insight into the life of uh, of Riley Evans and. Uh, uh, just uh, w- what a great go you're you're making it uh, at the age of just 20 and uh, you, you mean to stay in it for a long time it's been fascinating catching up with you mate good luck today at Addington and uh, going ahead in the future thank you for your time Sweet. thank you very much mate have a good one yeah you too you have a good one too uh, Riley uh, that was not a pun intended um, so here we go it is S-E-N-Z uh, in the mornings here, uh, I mean the life of Riley, that I was talking about the fun, that was accidental. Uh, and it's uh, 11.31, which means two things. It's time to stump Smithy. It is time to stump Smithy. We're back down to 50 bucks, I'm sorry. Um, uh, it was taken all the way to Huntley yesterday, so that's no good. There were 200 bucks. But you've got a chance for 50 bucks, so you're 0800 The other thing about it is it's time for the news. Here's Emma. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Certainly is. And just before we get to the quiz, gee, Neil Wagner's in a mood this morning down in Christchurch. He is 39 not out of 39 balls. The Black Caps 163 for three, a lead of 68 Oof. on day two down wow. there at Hagley Oval. So that is good times with Wags literally wagging. Of course, came in as a night watchman last night and doing a bloody great job. Uh, Henry Nichols on 44 not out. But more importantly, right now, we are giving away 50 bucks from the TAB as well as some sleep drops, daytime revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support. Support supplements. Billy from Auckland, welcome into the show. Good morning, gents. How's it going? Hi, Smithy. 
Hey, you belly boy. Good luck to you, mate. It's a pleasure to take you on on this Friday. All right, Billy. Smithy's been in great form this week, stumping people left, right and centre, so you'd best be on your best form. Uh, today, your categories are rugby league, cricket and basketball. Which one of those gives you the best chance of winning? Uh, look, I'm going to try Smithy at cricket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is always my favourite. That's why we have cricket in as often <laughs> as possible, just because people often think they know more, but they often don't. <laughs> Billy, not Billy Bowden, is it? No, mate. No, no, not the crooked finger. My, my, my fingers are straight, yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Question number one about cricket. South Africa have produced some amazing fast bowlers over the years. Who is the top test wicket taker of all time for the Pro Tears? Um, oh, dear. Um, Who are you thinking of, Billy? What kind look, of I'm names? Are wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking either Pollock, as in Sean, mm-hmm. or or no, it's got to be Dale Stain or or um, Philander. But no, I'll go Stain. Dale Stain. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Gee, Smithy, he was hanging his bat out there, and I thought he was playing all round it, but ended up in the middle of the bat. Yeah, yeah Sean Pollock was a good one. So yeah, and. Alan Donald was another possibility, but uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Dale Stain just retired. Yep, 439 wickets for Dale Stain. Sean Pollock, 421. So, And an average of 23, Dale Stain. What a career that was. All right, mm. question number two. Who captained South Africa on their last test tour of New Zealand back in 2017? Won't be Graham Smith. Uh, oh. Uh, can I go fast please please? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That is impressive. That's good recall, Smithy. Yeah, I, I was battling myself there. I was really, really battling, I, and that, that would have been embarrassing because we'd have commentated that series. It was series, tricky so, with all yeah, the formats, wasn't it, guys? It is, actually. You're right. And they do chop and change a wee bit, South Africa. You've got Elgar captaining this. Um, uh, uh, and the other guys uh, are sort of mixing and mingling, and they do change a lot more often than we do. But, yeah, you're on to it. Well done, Billy. Go, Billy. Good luck. Yep. Know your South African cricket well, mate. Okay, so final question for the Sleep Drops and the 50 bucks. Of all the bowlers on show in this test match, who is the highest in the ICC test rankings? Uh, highest as in, like, best? Highest ranked, terrible. yep, in the test bowling rankings. Out of all the bowlers on show from both the Black Caps and South Africa, who was the highest rated in the test rankings? It's got to be Tim Southey, guys. One of the worst things oh, I have oh, ever seen oh, done oh. on a cricket field. Chance for a stumping and then it will jackpot to Monday. Smithy, what do you reckon? Who is the highest ranked bowler of all the bowlers on show at the moment in this test match? Well, I don't think, unless it's Rabada, I don't think it's a South African, so I, I'm looking at us. Uh, Trent Bolt's not part of the equation. Uh, our Wags, I think, is in the top ten. Uh, far too early for Matt Henry to be in that uh, particular league, and if it's not Southie, uh, it can only be the ever-so-hot and very tall Kyle Jamieson for me. Out of Auckland, I will say, too, Billy. One of the worst things 
I have ever seen um, on a cricket field. Cole Jamieson is fourth in the world. Tim Southey is sixth. Neil Wagner is ninth. But Kakiso Rabada is third in the world, which means, Billy, you have won. 50 bucks from the TAB. Well done to you, mate. That was that was a bloody good game, guys. Jeez, Smithy, you had me. <laughs> I thought I had you there. I thought I had you cold. I thought Kyle Jamieson was so hot that um, uh, he would be ahead of Rabada, but uh, I probably discounted Rabada's success against India. So anyway, uh, hey, Billy, uh, enjoy the 50 bucks. Turn it into something real special and have a great weekend, mate. Thank you for taking part. Thanks, guys. Great show. Awesome. Cheers, Billy. Stay on the line and Brian will get your details as well so uh, we can get that money to you quick, smart. 11.38 here on SENZ. Uh, We've got... Mick Guerin in his favourite slot on a Friday coming up very shortly. Uh, 11.43 here on SENZ and, and uh, as uh, always is the case at this time on a Friday we talk to uh, our expert in the harness racing side of things, uh, Mick Guerin, uh, with a, a relatively busy weekend beginning tonight at Alexandra Park in Addington, then Rangiora Saturday, Gore on Sunday. Uh, Mick, last time we spoke to you uh, was about the sales as well. Uh, how is the progression there? Yeah, Smithy, it was really good. Um, good morning to you and to all the SENZ listeners. They had sales starting at Karaka on Sunday, and they ran through three days in Christchurch. But both sales had the same top price, $260,000, which is a lot of money for a harness horse. Um, very strong averages up at both. So the key indicators for the industry, very good. And I think it's because, Smithy, people see light at the end of the tunnel and they see situations where in two years time we'll be racing for bigger money and some of the new races that have come on board like the race which ECNZ's involved with um, they see these things being good so these baby horses bought now will be three in two years time and about that time of their careers when they're four they'll be able to race for around six million dollars in one four month period so people are aware of that People obviously are aware of how good the New Zealand horses are, Smithy. The big, big dog of the sale was Steve Stockman from Stonewall Stud. That's a lot of S's in South Auckland. Mm. And he spent around $2.3 million on 21 horses. So his personal average, Smithy, was over $100,000. Now, that's over the average for a thoroughbred at Karaka. So the thoroughbred sales are obviously a lot bigger. But we were talking a guy who's buying elite harness horses at the level of the average thoroughbred spend. Um, they have their trainer is Steve Telfer, Steve and Amanda Telfer, a brother and sister team. I would suggest Smithy with all this firepower, um, they're in a position where inside two or three years they will challenge to win the New Zealand Premiership. Very, very interesting news that uh, Mick regarding the sales. Uh, can I just ask you overseas interest? Uh, was that possible in these times, and uh, was there much of it? Yeah, NZB and New Zealand Bloodstock and New Zealand Bloodstock Standard Breed have a really cool online bidding system, and it's in real time. Most of the places you bid overseas, Smithy, you, you have a bit of a lag, as we all know from the internet, from watching sport even. But this is real time, and it's been a huge help because. People bidding overseas, sitting in their lounge, get just as carried away as people at the sales ring, Smithy. So there was a lot of overseas interest. To be perfectly honest, the domestic market was so strong, plenty of our overseas friends missed out. But we did have buyers from North America in the six-figure range and quite a few 
out of Australia. So that key fundamental of the industry is very healthy. What harness racing needs to do now is drive more turnover, and that's based around two things. Coverage, it doesn't get as good a coverage through the television channels as Gallops because they don't give it as much time. And secondly, field size. The more horses you have in a race, this may sound weird to people, the more horses you have in a race, the more money the race turns over. Some people would say, if there's only six horses and I have a bet, I can still back a winner. That's true. But the prices tend to be bigger the more horses in the race. People like bigger prices, but also it helps Cornellas, trifectas, pick sixes, all those things maybe where you need the fields or you're taking more horses with chances. Um, one of the key uh, metrics right around the world is bigger field size means more turnover. In the South Island, that's really cool. There's no issues. In the North Island, where it costs more to train horses and we have less people with two or three horses on the farm, um, those field sizes still need uh, drastic improvement. Okay, let's uh, get on to the track now. Uh, over the weekend, um, like as I said, Alexandra Park and Addington, so North Island, South Island headquarters in action, and then Rangiora and Gore in the latter two days. So uh, a, a busy one. Have we, have we got anything uh, going around that's likely? Yeah, I really like a horse tonight. He's not paying a stack of money, but he's a nice little horse to set yourself up for the weekend because it's a massive gallops day tomorrow as well. We know we have plenty of gallops listeners. Race four tonight at Alexandra Park at 7.38. I like a horse called Blame It on the Night for Tony Hurlihy. Pretty smart horse. I think he's very hard to beat. And then we back up into race five, number five. That's Artie by the Hill. Pretty smart horse, a two, gets a handicap start over most of the key rivals. So if you feel like having a bet, and always bet responsibly, don't bet your rent money, bet your coffee money. That's the mm-hmm. way you want to go. Race four, number eight, blame it on the night. Race five, number five, Artie by the hill. And for those who don't mind an unexposed horse, in race six, that team we spoke about, the Telfer team, uh, they have a horse called Forever Me. It's a daughter of champion race mare Adore Me. She's $3 to win race six. Most of the horses in that race have never been in a race before. They're debutantes, but I think she'll be the best of them, Smithy. So maybe races four, five, and six at Alexandra Park tonight for those who aren't spending their night watching a bit of footy. Mick, appreciate your input. As always, nice to hear those great numbers around the sales and uh, those uh, pieces of advice uh, for punters. Uh, and we'll uh, look forward to catching up with you on the SENZ network over the weekend. Looking forward to tomorrow. We're on at 8 o'clock in the morning, Smithy, myself, and Luke Radich. Luke Radich, one of the biggest brains in racing, joining us for the mail run at 8 o'clock tomorrow. Then we have Trot's Talk at noon on Sunday. So more winners coming up over the weekend. Hope everybody who has a bet responsibly backs a winner. Good on you, Mick Gear in there, folks. Uh, have a great weekend, Mick. Thank you for that. Uh, it's 11.50 here on SENZ. A uh, couple of texts coming. Tony, uh, yeah, thanks, Smithy. Now, Feel like uh, now I feel like a Jimmy's pie, mince and cheese. That's been one of the subjects of the morning, and a spates for lunch. Well, uh, Tony, if we ever catch up in person um, after having forced me into bringing up that embarrassing commentary moment, uh, you owe me one of each. So uh, I will take you to task on that. Uh, <coughs> and uh, we've also got to catch up with another fan of pies, but uh, man or two pies, Mark Stafford, just before the break.